Welcome in Hardcore Penn State Football. This is Corey Lestoki. Sean will be joining me momentarily. But welcome in to Rebuild or Renovate. Today, Sean and I will be discussing the offensive line and whether they should rebuild or renovate there. Is it going to get better? Do you trust Phil Trotwine? The linebacking core. Not many starters are returning heading into the spring. Where will we go from there? And then Beaver Stadium itself. Should it be rebuilt or should it be renovated? Trivia question for you today. Beaver Stadium was opened on September 17th, 1960. Who did the Nittany Lions play in that game? We'll get that answer and everything else in just a second. Stay tuned. Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. This is Corey Lestoki. With me is Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Great, Corey. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. We got a lot of traffic today on Twitter, at HardcorePSUFB, talking about Beaver Stadium renovations slash rebuilds and what people would want to see, maybe their wish list. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show, but just thought, hey, if you haven't given your thought yet and you want to plant your seed into the conversation head over to twitter and check it out a lot of kind of rebuilding and renovating conversation today sean we're going to be talking about the offensive line uh the linebacking core and then of course beaver stadium uh pretty interesting that it all kind of fell under the same umbrella of the uh, rebuild renovate yeah there's a lot of renovations that need to be done um at all three spots i think right so we will uh, get into that in just a moment but before we do do you want to give you the answer to trivia question? Uh, Sean, did you have a chance to look at the trivia question? I actually did not. What is it? Okay, the, the trivia question was, and if people miss it at the beginning of the show, then here's your chance to pause it right after I give the question. Beaver Stadium was opened on September 17th, 1960. Who did the Nittany Lions play? you have any guesses? I have no idea. <laughs> Boston University. BU, huh? And they won 20 to nothing. I believe the next year they played at Boston University. They also won. I don't remember the exact score, but they shut them out. So Boston University, and that was the only two times they've ever played. So Boston University has not uh, scored a point against Penn State. Actually, if you're paying attention on Twitter, I randomly tweeted that out saying, Boston University has never scored a point when I was doing a little bit of the research into it. And um, and so maybe that would have been your subtle hint at what I was getting at. But, um, but yeah, Boston U, getting a little bit of love here today. Um, obviously, we'll talk a little bit more about Penn State and possible renovations. The reason why that conversation came up was people were emailed um, and given, you know, I guess a chance to provide their opinion on if, if Beaver Stadium should be rebuilt or renovated. Sean, you didn't get an email like that, did you? Okay. I didn't know if you had season tickets or, or even if it was a season ticket thing. I don't know if everybody got it or just people that had a certain amount of Nittany Lion Club points. I don't really know. Yeah, I think it was a season ticket thing, but I'm not positive. Okay. so I, And who knows how much of an actual impact um, your opinion should be. But I always say, hey, you have a chance to voice your opinion. You should take advantage of it regardless of how much it really comes into consideration. So if you, ha if you have it, and check your spam and see if you can get what you want. There's some pretty good ones out there. So we'll, t we'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the show. Um, but before that, I just want to provide my Corey take of the week. 
And Sean, I think I was going to talk about this last week and I forgot. And I'm like, well, this still fits because we're about eight or nine days away from, um, or I guess less than that, a week away when once this podcast hits um, with spring ball starting. And, and really the focus should be not just with the offensive line, but with most positions, a clean slate. I think when you have a pretty mediocre, slightly above average year, but you definitely fell short of expectations, I think you should be heading into the spring with this idea that, hey, nobody's job is safe. and you guys, Nobody played so well that their spot is 100% secure besides maybe Curtis Jacobs. And everyone else, you better come ready to play because there's a lot of talent. We had a fantastic recruiting class last cycle. Nothing is guaranteed, and I know that is kind of what has always been said, but I think it honestly should be really meant as we head into spring ball. What are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, overall, uh, there are only a few uh, positions that I think uh, only a few people who have guaranteed spots and you know the whole idea of every spot is competition um it gets talked about with every it that the coach will always say that um i wonder how often it's really meant though uh james franklin is a big believer in competition um yeah i i certainly don't think any spot in the offensive line should be safe uh i, th- I think drew scruggs had a good year um so maybe his uh, but nobody else has really earned a spot, and I don't think anything should be handed to anybody. Uh, and as far as linebacking core goes, um, yeah, Curtis Jacobs, I think he had a very good year last year, and he could be the next uh, guy to carry that uh, linebacker U torch. But nobody else, <laughs> I, I don't, we, we don't have any returning starters from last year. Right. No one is even... No one even sniffs coming close as far as linebackers come as as far as starting right away. And and even offensive line, like, yeah, you got some guys that have potential. Like Landon Tangwall, I expect, will start somewhere along the offensive line. But as far as a concrete position, like, yeah, we're just going to put him here and be confident. Like, I don't even know if that's the case. I don't know if I'd put Juice in that in that conversation yet at center. And then, and then honestly, if anybody, maybe Caden Wallace, but – I don't think he necessarily blew people away um, last year either. So, um, but even at most positions, I mean, obviously we talked about Sean Clifford and Drew Aller last week, so we don't need to necessarily go down that rabbit hole. But there's a lot of spots. Um, I, I suppose you would say Parker Washington has probably earned more of a a role somewhere. But even saying, hey, like, is he going to line up more on the outside, or is he going to stay inside? I, it's weird to see, you know, to see him playing extensively on the outside so we'll, we'll kind of we'll have to wait and see with all that even but i don't necessarily think lambert smith has 100 percent earned that you know even though he came on and had a good you know second half of the season i don't think he he's earned that role yet either so no i don't think so um i guess i think jair porter brown? jr probably did and jair brown yeah yeah porter jr you're gonna get some complaints with you know the penalties and whatnot but i mean he got I don't know another way to say it. he just got picked on at the end of the year. Um, he, he did. He struggled down the stretch. Um, but if he could stay disciplined, um, he if if he could learn to play play right with his hands, um, he's he could be a first round pick because he could do everything you need to, to do. He could do everything you need in a uh, in a modern day NFL a modern day NFL cornerback. Yep, I was gonna say the exact same thing. The uh, he has the tools to, to do it, so we'll just see if he can put it all together. Maybe took a slight step back, um, but I mean, we'll see where Tariq Castro Fields ends up getting drafted. If he gets drafted pretty well, I mean, then it's like, oh well, Joey Porter Jr. has a chance to go way higher than him. His potential, I think, is way higher than Tariq Castro Fields. So, um, and then yeah, I mean, Brown did what everything you would expect at safety. I mean, he is he is the guy, especially since you don't really know who's necessarily going to be playing next to him um, at that other safety spot. So, besides that, we're not necessarily talking about all of those. But I just thought that's an important point as we head into the spring. Um, there's a lot of, I, I mean, I'm optimistic. I have a pretty good. 
idea feeling that things are going to be okay in Happy Valley. And I think the spring is an important one for a lot of guys. I was uh, talking to some people today, and I think like a guy like Smith Vilbert, who had a really good bowl game, but isn't necessarily – you know, probably isn't going to be a starter next year. But this is a big spring for a guy like him to come in and get reps and get more live action. Um, a big, big spring for a Malik Mega to come in and get more reps at the wide receiver position. Can, can he finally be what he has the potential of being? What everyone has said about him. Um, there, there's a lot of those kind of guys, even a Juice Scruggs or a Sam Warmly who was hurt last year or an Adisa Isaac who is now coming back as well from injury. Um, and then at the linebacker position, which we'll talk about a lot more in just a second, but there are some some serious guys that have a big opportunity. Um, Charlie Catcher, who's been here for a long time. Tyler Elson, who's been here for a long time. But even some of the, the newer guys like Kobe King, um, and uh, Jamari Button potentially as well have potential depending on how this spring goes. There's a lot of opportunity in this spring. Yeah, I want to see too how Olu Fashano does because I was very impressed by him in the um, Outback Bowl. I forgot which bowl we played in. Um, I don't think he gave up a sack, and he did a very, he did a good job of helping to keep uh, Clifford's pocket clean from his perspective. Um, so he's probably the guy I'm looking uh, forward to seeing the most. And also uh, the freshman, uh, uh, Saunders, uh, Caden Saunders. Is it Caden Saunders um, at receiver? Um, yep. I really want to see. Uh, he's. I've seen him described as K.J. Hamler with better hands. <laughs> so I'm hoping that's what we get with him. Um, and if that's the case, I think we should be able I think we'll be seeing him this year. Yeah, I think there's there's a pretty decent chance, at least in some role, even if it's potentially kick returner or something, that you're going to see uh, Saunders on the field at some point. Well, you mentioned Olu Fash, uh, Fashanu. Let's start with that offensive line. and um, I mean, there's potential here. I'm going to go ahead and say rebuild. If we're going to say rebuild or renovate, I'm going to go ahead and say rebuild for the offensive line. I think... You have some pieces that you want to keep, and, and but you don't really know where the pieces necessarily go. And if it means stripping it down and, and putting it back together, then do so. Because Phil Trotwine, we talked a little bit about it last week, probably doesn't have that much more time if he can't get it straightened out. He's starting to get his guys in now. This class and next class, he's got a potential to have a bunch of four stars and five stars on in the offensive line room, and there's going to be no really excuse for him to not – uh, have production. I, I think there was some grumblings, and at least I think some people are still considering Caden Wallace to move inside if needed, or which doesn't sound necessarily right, but I believe it was an interview uh, with The Athletic. He said, basically, I like Wallace at tackle. I think he's athletic enough to play tackle, so I don't think you'll see Wallace moving inside anytime soon. But right now, uh, Sean, I'm saying rebuild. Yeah, I think you have to rebuild it um, because what we saw last year—that's not—that's nothing worth renovating. Uh, when a house is falling apart, you don't renovate it; you rebuild it. So, I think you know, as far as Wallace goes, I've read that he'd be better inside, and that he was recruited as a guard. But being that—and uh, this goes back to recruiting a few years—it's not just Phil Troutwine. Um, they haven't recruited the tackle position very well. So he's kind of, so uh, Wallace is out there sort of out of necessity of tackle. Um, but I know they want to play Tangwall at guard. Uh, and I believe he played, I, I believe he played exclusively a tackle for us last year when he did get in. But he's another guy that's supposedly a better guard than a tackle. Um, and then Sal Warmly, we didn't, we haven't seen him play yet. But he supposedly had a really, really good spring until he got hurt. So I'm hoping, uh, and us Penn State fans have to keep our fingers crossed, that he's able to come back strong off injury. Yeah, and, and Tangwa, I think, is the the probably the guy I'm most confident in at wherever he ends up as far as say, okay, we can at least count on him to be something, right? 
Right. I thought he played well at tackle last year. So I, I think that's the one guy we're like, okay, well, we can at least build around him. And maybe we can build from the inside out if everything works out perfectly. Like, I'm not necessarily terrified of Juice Scruggs or um, Sal Warmly as long as he's okay from injury. Like, that, if you have that as your left guard, center, right guard, that's not bad. Um, that, that's not bad at all. And I, I do think maybe Tengwall never started, but I think he d- did play a little bit of guard during some snaps just when Efner got hurt or, or whatever the case may be. But, no, I think you have the flexibility with Tengwall where he can play left guard, he can play center, he can play right guard. Um, and then you you couple that in with the Scruggs that can also play a little bit of guard. You have pieces between those three guys that if they stay healthy, you you got to feel at least a little bit confident actually which is it never sounds right with this group but you should feel decent about them yeah i mean i'm still gonna believe it when i see it mode um because we we just haven't seen a good offensive line here in a long time but they have the talent to do it uh these are all four and five uh, they're all four star guys i believe so it's it's time to start seeing um seeing it on the field and you know like we were saying fashanu um Scruggs and Tangwall all played well at different times last year. So I know they could do it. It's just doing that consistently. And consistency was a big thing that that team, that the team in general lacked last year that I hope they could get this year. I thought at least honestly in the passing game, I didn't think they were awful to like, to be honest with you. I thought compared to like, if you had to compare like this offensive line, to like the 2015 offensive line, like, Obviously, it was better, but I think it was better in the passing game than people are giving it credit for, especially for how many times they had to drop back to pass. I mean, you were basically saying, all right, well, and and I'm not saying they were good against communicating for blitzes or anything like that, but just straight up in pass blocking in, in a vacuum, I thought they did okay, given the fact that the defensive ends and defensive linemen in general all knew that the pass was pretty much coming. And that's not an easy thing to defend against, especially if you're doing that the entire game. Yeah, they had moments. Uh, the Auburn game, I don't think they gave up sack. So they did have times where they were all right. Where, but there were also, like you said, when they were facing different blitz blitz packages, um, they've really struggled against superior competition, the Ohio States of the world, the Michigans. Uh, to be fair, most teams did struggle against against. Um, uh, the Michigan defensive front. Uh, I didn't think the Ohio State defense last year was anything special, and they still struggled against them. But you're also right to say that when you can't run the ball and you're and the team knows you're going to throw every time, well, that makes uh, scheming for that uh, pretty easy. Yeah, and it's a chicken or chicken before the egg kind of thing, right? I mean, it doesn't help also that Sean Clifford was banged up halfway through the season and you're trying to defend – you know, a guy who is is not going to be able to be mobile. That also lets the defensive linemen pin their ears back even more when you don't have to worry about breaking containment. So, I mean, it's just it's a constant kind of battle that I have in my own head. I can only imagine that you know what it feels like to be Phil Trotwine or or anyone else close to the program, and they're just like, what exactly do we do to fix this? Because there isn't, you know, there necessarily isn't an obvious fix to all this. Um, they did try to bring in couple things to fix that i thought hunter norzad coming in at right he's gonna play probably right guard or at least compete for the right guard spot uh coming from cornell he played tackle at cornell has two years of eligibility left him and i'm gonna throw in jb nelson because he's a lack transfer those two guys we out of those two guys one of them needs to be good enough to start next year is that a fair assessment yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be Norzad. From what I understand, uh, Nelson is still a little underweight from where they want him to be. Um, so he might take, you know, halfway through the year, maybe even in the next year to be ready to start. Uh, but Norzad, he was getting some uh, late round draft buzz, actually. And um, he came to Penn State um, to elevate that draft stock. So supposedly he's um, it. It's not quite like uh, an Eric Wilson type of situation. Like Norzad has NFL aspirations, so I'm hoping that that could pan out for us. 
Right. I think a lot of people are like, oh, here comes another guy from the Ivy League that isn't going to be able to help them. Norzad's a different kind of beast, at least from the standpoint that we can expect, especially him moving inside a guard. If he stayed at tackle, I think you could have those questions and those, you know, be fair, you know, fair criticisms. But I don't think, um, I don't think there should be any reason not to expect him to produce at the guard position, especially if you're going to have a guy like Tangwa be able to produce. And he's only been in the program for a year. I mean, it just, I'm like, you, you expect the dude's been around for, you know, two and a half years in a college program. You, you expect him to compete, same, you know, at, at least some level compared to Tangwa, who's only been in the program for a year. But, you know, who knows? But I would say between Norzad and JB Nelson, and then you throw in warmly. I mean, you got a decent amount of guys to at least play with. I, I know, um, uh, you got Nick Dawkins in there as well, but I I just think they have enough pieces to rebuild in any way they want, and I hope they take advantage of it because you have the opportunity right now to say, hey, like Caden Wallace, do you want to go to the left tackle? Would that be the you know is that something we at least want to consider doing, or are we gonna like if uh, Fashanu gets hurt, like what is the next plan? I don't know what I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't know either. I know that Jimmy Chris is another guy. Um, at he's another tackle that they have, but they're just so short on tackles right now, and it's a real uh, concern. Uh, Drew Shelton, uh, I don't know if he'll be he'll he's a freshman. I'm not sure if he'll be able to come in right away and play. Um, and I don't know if he's going to be a guard or tackle. He's another one of those guys that I think could go either way. Um, but that they need to figure out the depth for that tackle spot. Yeah, and and, and they still um, have Efner as well. So I mean they they have they have some pieces there. I I don't I don't know if if Chris gets into the game. I mean I just I feel like he's been around long enough where if he would have made a move, it would have happened by now. Yeah, it's not we're never for him this year. I think right, and so I, I'm not holding my breath for him. Um, but yeah, I mean Drew Shelton coming in. You got Vega coming in from Washington, who was a great last-minute steal by Franklin, um, and Malik McNeil as well. But I mean, these the, those are the guys that they have to play with, and it's going to get better next year. But I think they have enough guys here where there's no real reason for them to at least be middle of the pack, right? Like that, Penn State fans aren't asking to be Wisconsin or or even you know Minnesota from a couple years ago or. Or are constantly really good at pass protection, like in Ohio State. Like they're just trying to be middle of the road, like not an obvious sore thumb to the team, and that just hasn't happened. Yeah, it's just year after year of just ineptitude or in below average play, and I think it's fair for the fans to expect more that more from that unit uh, than, like you said, constantly being a weakness. And it's frustrating because they have the, so much talent, and as more talent continues to pour in, if that continues to be the issue, it just it just builds the frustration because you have guys you want to get the ball to, and I mean it goes all the way back to you know before even Saquon, but it really was you know illuminated when Saquon was here because you knew you had this once in a lifetime talent, and you can't literally get out of his own way, you know, it just out of his way, so. Um, I did want to mention uh, there was a potential transfer opportunity with Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt. He visited LSU a couple days ago. He had 33 starts for Vanderbilt. Um, he's visiting Alabama, NC State, and Penn State. But from what I have gathered is it is not likely that they are going to land Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt. So that one's kind of cooled off. Yeah, he's probably going to stay down south. That's what I read, too. So that's a little frustrating. I don't know if you have any more insight on anybody else offensive line wise that they might try to try to pick up. I think that's all right now, uh, but that could open up in the spring. I believe May 1st is the deadline for 2022 guys to transfer in and play uh, this fall. So you might see um, you, so you might see some guys come available after spring practice, but as of right now, I think the only guy they're going after is Steen. Right. So that's uh, I mean, I don't think they really had to make a move offensive line wise anymore. I think they have enough where I feel okay about. Norzad was a big pickup for me, where I'm like, okay, I, 
with what they're doing in the recruiting world right now, which we talked about pretty extensively last week, um, I'm happy with the effort they made this offseason to improve. Are you happy? I am. Um, I wish they picked up a tackle, um, but I, I, you know, that's still a concern. But also, uh, good offensive line tackles in the transfer portal that they're uh, that they that they, <laughs> that they don't that they're not just uh, a diamond dozen. So, um, and and that goes for the whole portal as well. Uh, some people are just like, oh, well, look in the portal. Well, a lot of the guys in the portal weren't good enough to play wherever they're coming from. So that does, so a lot of times that means they won't be good enough to play here either. So overall, I think, you know, they did that. It was good to make a pickup and to get maybe the best offensive lineman in the portal uh, to Penn state. Yeah. I mean, Norzad would came over guys like Auburn, Iowa, Virginia tech. So it was a big pickup for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why people, are in the portal. Whether they're not good enough, they have some baggage with them. Most of the time, I think that's why when you go to the portal, I really think the best thing you can do is go after a guy that was at a smaller school. Because the reason they're probably in the portal is, A, they're trying to get more of a look to get to the NFL. Um, For example, AK, I think, is a good example of that. Um, But when you go for a guy that was at a big-time school already – and just and, and and just left for some no apparent reason. That to me is not necessarily a red flag because there's an examples of where it's worked out. For example, Jerome Ford went from Alabama to Cincinnati, and that worked out great for him. Um, but I just think those are the ones you got to be a little bit more cautious of. And Franklin's already said, "Hey, I'm not going to just jump in head first after some of these guys. Like I'm going to be patient, and if they're there once I'm done doing all my research, okay, fine. But they're not going to just." go up and pick up anybody right off the, the street just because they know or they've heard that this this guy could be good. Yeah, you got to do your homework on people. Um, and if you don't, uh, that's where you can run into trouble. I've actually heard James Franklin say sometimes um, these other schools will get guys in the transfer portal and they won't even call Penn State about them and do like any background research. Um, and that's that's really not the way to do it. Because you don't know if this guy could be a locker room cancer or if he just isn't good enough to play at this level. And maybe he was a four-star rated guy out of high school. But sometimes you don't know till he's there that this guy is overranked or he play or he just he actually doesn't belong at a uh, at a big at a Big Ten uh, university playing right. football. Let's uh move to the linebacking core and still talk about the transfers because we're already talking about it. Um, linebacker Josh Chandler Semedo from West Virginia opened up and uh, his his into the transfer portal and was considering some schools. I thought maybe Penn State would be interested in this. I looked up on Twitter. No Penn State people at all have followed him. And I was like, okay, well, that's a little strange. I asked around a little bit, and from what I'm hearing is this guy has potential baggage. So talk about doing research on a guy. I'm hearing this guy does have some potential issues. West Virginia wasn't that upset about losing him. Um, So even though he's very talented, some people are saying he's one of the best guys left out there in the transfer portal. I think some teams are staying away from him, Sean. Yeah, and if that's the case and the guy's going to be more trouble than he's worth, um, then – you, then you can't take them in. Um, so it's that that if that's uh, what their research has shown, um, then I guess you have to trust that. But they do need to pick somebody up in the portal at linebacker. Yeah, let's. I mean, we can start talking about linebacker before we do. I just want to mention um, it was actually technically a couple of days ago, but linebacker Gabriel Murphy and his twin brother, defensive end Grayson Murphy, both from North Texas. Really, two saw both of them were all conference players. Um, they both committed to UCLA. It was always going to be a package deal. Um, they had spent time at Penn State and whatnot, but they're at UCLA. That's kind of a big miss because you would have, you know, kind of got killed two birds with one stone there, picking up a linebacker and a defensive end. Um, but that did not happen. And now, we, with that being said, we can talk about: Would you renovate or would you rebuild the linebacking core? Well, I mean, I think you have to. I think you have to renovate it. Um... 
you know, it, it's going to be under a new direction for the first time in James Franklin's tenure. It's going to be under uh, Manny Diaz. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, in, in the next, in the next coming years, how he recruits. Um, but with this particular core, I think you have to build around Curtis Jacobs. Um, and, you know, just have things go from there. Uh, like I said in the last pod, I think you're going to see a lot of four, two, five looks uh, where we only have two linebackers on the field. But, you know, it's it, we're going to be they're going to be very, very dependent on freshmen this year as well. I They got to They got to find somebody to be picked up as well. I'm interested to see. I think that's a good point. What are the linebackers going to look like without Brent Pry on the sideline? We've seen. Penn State pretty much move on from every other position coach at some point for the most part, not linebackers, and obviously not the defensive coordinator. So I, this is kind of new territory. We don't really know what to expect. We know Curtis Jacobs is really good, and that's about it. Are we going to see a lot more aggressive looks um, with a lot of different personnel groupings? What 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 way can or what way do they try to conceal their depth issues or to conceal their lack of experience because you can bring on, we talked a little bit about this last week too, you can bring on another safety, you can bring on another corner and take a linebacker or two off the field, but is that going to be the, the right way to do things when you're facing a team that likes to run the ball and you really kind of need to have two or three linebackers in there? Um, I, that's what I'm more, most fascinated with. Is it? Are they going to try to get on the edge more? Are they going to try to be quicker than necessarily tough or strong. Brent Pry was, I feel like, a good balance of both. I think sometimes, you know, we got caught in our heels a little bit, but for the most part, I thought he did a, had a good balance of between speed and also, you know, maybe some run-stuffing ability. Yeah, I thought this was his best year calling plays because he showed a lot of different looks. Uh, it was a very diversified defense. Um, and like you said, a lot of that comes down to the personnel you have. And if we're going to be limited at one uh, spot, especially the linebacker spot, the linebacker spot, uh, and you lose a guy like Jaquan Brisker that you can line up at different places, that could limit what you do. Uh, doesn't mean that you know the the. It doesn't necessarily mean this is going to be a worse defense this year. Uh, but you're going to be you're going to have you're not going to have the ability to do as much as you did last year. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit. Of some so we know Curtis Jacobs, who I thought ever since the Ohio State game has, has been playing on to a different level. Um, middle linebacker right now. I mean, Kobe King, who was able to preserve his red shirt last year, played in four games but preserved it. Um, Kalen King, his brother, did pretty well out in, in the corner spot as well. Um, Kobe King or Tyler Elson is kind of kind of the guys right now at the Mike position. I think maybe Kobe King provides more of a ceiling, um, but just not a lot of experience right there, Sean. Yeah, and I think a guy that you could see them try to move inside is Charlie Catcher. And I, I'm, you know, and, and I don't want to say anything bad about Charlie, um, but I'm not sure if he's, if he's, you know, what you want at middle linebacker. I know he played a lot at outside linebacker last year, but. I would almost rather see what the freshmen could do if they're able if they're able to go. Uh, so I think that is a wide open competition now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's probably one of the most wide open competitions in the entire program. Absolutely, and it's maybe your most important position on defense. So, that's, comforting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And then I've had a, a lot of these kind of conver- conversations. Um, about the other side because you're going to be moving Curtis Jacobs from the Sam to the will and potentially putting Jonathan Sutherland there who's coming from the safety spot. I am not a firm believer in Jonathan Sutherland moving to this to the Sam spot. I don't know how much I really believe he can do it. I think he probably should have been closer to the line of scrimmage from the get-go, but I don't think that necessarily is going to translate to him being a good enough linebacker at that spot. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, and, you know, he's he's a high-effort guy. He's going to be the first uh, four-year captain. 
um, and a very good special team guy. I'm just not sure if he's what you, again, another guy, I'm not sure if you really want him starting at linebacker for your team. So I'm not really sure what direction they're going to go in. A guy that I liked when I saw him play limited time last year, um, and it was just in reserve, was Jamari Button. So I want to see if they could get him on the field more at, at, at that spot. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, I'm curious if maybe uh, Jalen Reed comes down and plays a little bit too. Like I would feel much better about Reed playing there than Sutherland, to be honest with you. I think Reed has potential. I just, Reed just plays faster. I mean, that's just the best way to say it. Reed plays like he could play linebacker, he could play safety, doesn't matter. He's going to be around the ball. And that's just kind of what you need to be at that position. That's what Curtis Jacobs was really good at once he figured it out. Um, and, and I think that's what they needed that position, maybe even more importantly than, than the Mike position. So I'm curious. I, I also like Budden a lot too. Um, I asked around a little bit about him as well, and people seem to think he could be there. They just don't know if 15 spring practices is going gonna, is gonna to be enough to get him there to start the season. I think Budden is a guy by the end of the season you could say, hey, where's this guy been? Like this guy has potential, and he could be a guy moving into the late part of the you know, late stages of the season, bowl game. Going into next year, he could be a kind of a guy you're depending on uh, for 2023, but I'm not sure if he's going to be the guy they need early in 2022. I, I like the Jalen Reed idea. Um, I think you could see him playing in the box a lot, kind of like how they did uh, with Marcus Allen back in the day. Um, so that that's something that uh, intrigues me. I thought he should have played a lot more last year at safety at the safety spot. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big Reed fan, so we'll just kind of wait and see. Hey, he's got to be on the field, I think, right? I mean, you got to find a way to get him on the field. He still doesn't have that much experience, but I think he's a guy who, especially late in the year, had fresh legs and just looked different than a lot of other guys that were on the field. So, um, Also want to just mention Abdul Carter, the four-star linebacker, and Keon Wiley. Uh, they'll be coming in. I, I'm a big Wiley fan. Big on Keon Wiley. The way the coaches talk about him, they kind of talk about him differently than they talk about other people. I think Abdul Carter maybe has more obvious potential, but I think Wiley, I don't know. I just got a feeling about Keon Wiley. And maybe we sit here at some point in the next couple of years and we're just like, oh, well, you know, he was good, but he was never, you know, great. But, you know, he's a three star guy, technically. Like, whatever. He was okay. He, he did his, you know, his fair share. But I think we're going to be talking about Keon Wiley and wondering how the heck he was only a three star when it's all said and done. I could see that, too. He did pretty well at the All American Bowl, too. He was actually a, a, a um, Army All American. And the reviews from down there were pretty good about him. So he's, and of course, Abdul Carter. Uh, I've heard it said that on defense, he might he might end up being the best guy uh, in the recruiting class. So um, he's I, I'm not sure if either one of them are going to be ready to play this year. But I think by the end of their career, we could be saying a lot of good things about both of them. Yeah, I think it just depends if they can pick up anybody else, because if not, I mean, both of them are probably going to play at least their four games. Who knows? You know, they're probably not going to start or anything like that, but both of them are going to play their four games and depending on how everything goes, I mean, what if you have like a knock on wood, but if you have a 2016 linebacker issue where everyone's getting hurt, I mean, all of a sudden Abdul Carter and Keon Wiley, a lot better to turn to than some of the guys you had to turn to in 2016, but still young, no matter what, you know, no matter any way you put it. Uh, I'm just curious to see where they're at by the end of this year. I mean, just think where Kobe King was, like, yeah, he's okay, but you know, most people probably don't really know his name or, or what he potentially could do. I think Abdul Carter and Count Wiley are two guys that they show some real flashes of brilliance by the end of the year. Maybe it's only like a Brandon Smith-level brilliance where he knocks somebody out from Idaho, but there's something that's going to be like, okay, wow, like this guy's a guy that you want to remember his name moving, uh, moving into the spring um, uh, of 2023. So uh, one other thought I had real quick. And this is obvious, but I think it just needs to go without saying. If Curtis Jacobs gets hurt, Penn State is in big trouble. Oh yeah, yeah, panic time then. I mean, you are you are in big trouble. I, I don't really know what you do at that point besides just cry because I don't you you don't have 
Last year, I mean, when you think about it now, especially you're going to think about it when a lot of these guys get drafted. But when you think of, you know, the ability to put Lakeda back into linebacking if you needed to, and you had Ellis Brooks there, and you had Brandon Smith there, and you're just now you're thinking, well, we don't really have any of those guys anymore, and we're expected to kind of produce the same way. So Curtis Jacobs is is the guy. I mean, he is the guy. Yeah, and I remember saying that last year about Smith, Brooks, and him, that if any one of these guys go down, we're in trouble. Um, And now it's even more dire because there's only one guy. And like you said, we don't have a guy like Luketa that we could just move back to linebacker. Um, So, yeah, it is uh, of paramount importance that he stays healthy. I would be surprised if they have him doing any contact stuff. Uh, in the spring or into the summer camp. Like, he's a guy that if you're going to the blue-white game, don't expect to see Curtis Jacobs. Right. You might be able to get his autograph. He might spend the entire time doing autographs because he he's not going to be – he shouldn't be playing. All right, well, this seems like a dumb-ish question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. More optimistic about the linebacker core or the offensive line? Oh, boy. Um, I'd probably go with the – with the offensive line. Um, and I am not that optimistic about the offensive line. Uh, but there are just guys there. There's more guys there that showed some ability to play last year. Uh, I could also make a solid case for the linebacking core, though, because nobody on that offensive line played as well as Curtis Jacobs. Manny Diaz to put a good product on the field because, you know, while he might not have been the best head coach in the world at Miami, his defenses were always good. Um, I'm, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, for those that don't know. And Jalen Phillips played for him. And Jalen Phillips, is unbelie- he had an unbelievable rookie season last year. And every time you watch Miami in the past three or four years, those, de- those, guy- those linebackers just fly around the field. So I do trust him to make something out of the linebackers. Uh, but when I know the quality of what they have right now, um, it's hard for me to have that much faith in the, in the talent. If Brent Pry was still here, I think I would have more optimism with the linebacking core. And, and that's not against everything you just said, because I, I agree with you, but until I see it for myself, God, I think I agree. I think I'm going to go at the offensive line and that's awful to say, but They've got – I mean, well, uh, first of all, I expect them to be better than last year. I expect the linebacking core to be worse than last year. So if just by that alone, I guess I'm more optimistic that the offensive line can at least exceed my expectation of them, which I don't know if that's even a fair – that's fair to the linebacking core because the offensive line expectation is pretty damn low. Right, yeah. I am i don't expect much from either group. Uh but, you know, Manny Diaz does have a more proven track, track record than Phil Troutline. Um, but there, I, I, I know Juice Scruggs could play. Uh, I know Tang Wall could play. And I think Fashanu could play. But I just got to see more consistency from all those guys. I know Curtis Jacobs could play. But everybody else, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen them play at linebacker and when I did see some of them play at linebacker I wasn't blown away by any stretch of the imagination right yeah I agree I think that's kind of the best way to leave it for now I mean there's a lot of question marks in that room and they still have time to you know add you know spring practice is going to happen and then they can still pick from people you know that didn't necessarily win jobs or whatever the case may be they can still find room to improve that linebacking room but right now it's it's scary that we might be more optimistic about the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, even going back to when Manny Diaz was at Louisiana Tech, I mean, these guys forced a lot of turnovers anywhere they went, and that's something maybe not so much this past year, but in previous years that the Brent Pride defense really didn't do that well. But everything they did well, turnover forcing wasn't something that you would necessarily they would you know uh, hang their hat on by any stretch of the imagination. So that's one thing that maybe Manny Diaz will bring in that makes a big difference. I mean, we didn't see a bunch. And, and again, last year we did, to be fair. We saw the pick six by Lucada. We saw the pick six by Jair Brown. But we saw a lot of interceptions in crucial moments. But previous years, I don't think we saw it as much. So I think Manny Diaz might bring more of that to the table this year, which 
which would help things. Yeah, even good defenses under Brent Pragg typically didn't produce a ton of turnovers, um, really with the exception of last year. Right. So, well, that being said, Sean, let's move into the probably the most argumentative, highly contested part of the show today, and that is Beaver Stadium renovations versus whole new, brand new stadium. It's it's hard to bring up this conversation with some people because you're going to get the people that just want Joe Paterno's statue back. We're going to ignore all that shit for right now. And I think the most important thing when we're having this conversation is when you're trying to compare renovation to rebuild, What are, you got to keep something even, something consistent. Because if it's obviously more money, like extremely more money to rebuild the whole thing, but there's, or in the other case, if there's not that much they can really do to renovate without tearing a lot of it out anyway, if you just eliminate those two obviously skewed situations and you try to look at it from a, you know, if everything's relatively just, you know, okay, nothing is extreme, um, and have that conversation, I think it's important that people realize that Beaver Stadium is old. Um, it's outdated, and there's a lot of things about it structurally that I don't think engineers really want to necessarily just renovate with. Now, on the flip side of that, if you go to Michigan Stadium and you, and you see what they have done in the big house, and they have put brick on the outside. They have made it look better without necessarily making it that much better. I think that's an option, but is that really enough to – to really make the season ticket holders happy? I'm not sure. I will let you talk before I continue. Yeah. Um, so, like you said, this is prob- This is a very, very hot topic with the uh, email, with the recent email just being sent to uh, season ticket holders. Uh, they, they do these surveys every once in a while. One of the survey questions was, uh, do you want to see Beaver Stadium renovated or, re- or uh, a new stadium built? I tend to fall into the renovate camp uh, because I think you could do a lot with Beaver Stadium. I think there's a lot of things you could do with the renovation that wouldn't ne- that wouldn't uh, necessitate tearing it down. Um, I think I'm of the opinion, and this could be a hot take, and people will probably hate me forever for saying this. I'm fine with taking with taking seats out. If it means everybody gets a chair back seat, I'm so tired of sitting on bleachers in 25 degree weather with the wind howling in Beaver Stadium. People's people's knees are in my back. Uh, that that's not really a that's not how um, how it should be when you're paying two hundred dollars sometimes for a ticket. Uh, but there are some things that would necessitate a. Uh, a rebuild. I think escalators. Uh, I don't know if you could put escalators in Beaver Stadium uh, any more than they have. I don't know if you could, if you could build more bathrooms. So there are some things that you can't do uh, with Beaver Stadium, structural, structurally speaking. Um, and I think a lot of it will come down to price too. If it costs more to rent to re, if it costs more to renovate than rebuild. I wouldn't be. It wouldn't knock a feather out of me if they decided to rebuild the stadium. Okay, you said a lot there, and I agree with most of it. I, th- I, I think, I think it's what is their bare minimum for what a renovation could entail. Like, if what is like the bare necessities of what they need to feel like that it is worth just the renovation that they absolutely would want in a rebuild. So if it's we need to have you know, a certain level of bathrooms, we need to have a certain level of concessions and whatever that may be, whether that's a certain amount of bathrooms or a certain, you know, kind of bathroom and the same thing with concessions. Can they get that through a renovation? My assumption is they're not going to be able to do that, especially the bathroom situation, but also the concession situation. On top of that, I think a big concern they have is people getting stuck in the stadium. You, if there was a fire or there was an emergency situation, you could not get those people out in time in any situation. This wouldn't happen. And if that is a big enough concern as well, I, there's no way you can renovate that to make it any bit better, as you kind of mentioned. Um, I'm not against renovation. 
I'm not even against a renovation knowing you might have to rebuild in 15, 20 years. As long as it's as long as it's just little things. I wouldn't say put a brick overlay around the whole thing if you're going to rebuild in 20 years. But if you wanted to fix things that you could fix um, in the meantime, knowing that's going to be another 10 to 15 years before you get the funding, fine. Because I get it. COVID hit. You lost a lot of your opportunity. But, I mean, this was something that has been going on since I was in college. I mean, they had came out with that master plan. It was all going to be pretty. It was a. They even had a little model of what it potentially could look like if they rebuilt a stadium. Um, there was a lot of that conversation happening early, um, I guess around 2015, 2016-ish, and that kind of evaporated. They got some things done that were more important um, in the Penn State Athletics than the Beaver Stadium. But they don't have enough donors to really do multiple things at a time like that, big chunk of things, especially rebuild a stadium. Um, if you could rebuild the stadium, I'm assuming they would just put it across the street and then they would just keep playing until they could go into the new one or something along those lines, right? I, I would assume they would rebuild in a way where they wouldn't have to play somewhere else for a year because that would that would be kind of silly, right? Yeah. I mean, the one thing is if, and I assume most people listening have been to Beaver Stadium. There's a lot of land there uh, to build a new stadium. Uh, that they, they have tons of grass lots, and that that's a whole other thing. Like the lots, like what what is it? Probably about seventy five percent of the lots are grass, and I don't really think that's fair to the fans to have to pay. You know, what is it now to park like fifty dollars? To go park in grass, right? But that's not going to change. That that will that will never change because that they technically rent that land from the Department of Ag, so they don't they don't actually own that land. I guess from the sense of they literally pay for it for the football season, and then you have animals, you know, chewing on it months later. So that land isn't just for the taking a lot of it. Um, to be purchased. I do want to say also, I think most people would agree with you on reducing capacity in order to make it more comfortable. I think a lot of people would agree with you, and I agree with you on that. I think you you stay above 100,000. I don't care about being number two or number three or number, I don't care. Stay above 100,000. You reduce you know, capacity by 10,000, but you get you know actual seatbacks for most of the stadium. Maybe not, you know, students don't need it. But but you you give it to everybody else, I think that would make up you make people a lot higher happier, and also you could probably raise the prices a little bit as well. I know people don't want to hear that, but they probably could and get away with it. So I think that is something that most people would agree with. I think even if they built a new stadium, I wouldn't expect it to be um, any more than a hundred thousand. I would I would say it would probably end up being closer to eighty seven, ninety thousand if I had to guess, and they would say that's good enough. And I think most people would say that's fine as long as it's going to be better. Um, on Twitter, the 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 conversation was all over the place. Um, one thing I think is an interesting one that didn't really have anything to do with the conversation, but it was beer sales. I am f- very much under the belief that hey, you guys, especially for the late games, we're drinking beer, and I I love drinking beer, love having a good time. I actually don't believe we need to have beer sales in the stadium. I I get it in the club, people that. People in the club t- typically aren't necessarily partying as much as people that aren't in the club. So having you know booze up there for some of the people that aren't boozing in the tailgate lot, that's one thing. But for the whole general public to have booze when they've already been boozing sometimes for four or five, six, ten hours beforehand, I don't see the reason for it. I know you'll make a lot of money and they'll probably do it anyway. But there is not enough reasonable people in that football stadium as is on any given Saturday and then you're going to provide them with an extra three, four, five beers for the first half, first three quarters. I mean, I just think that is just giving yourself a situation where, you know, it's going to end poorly for somebody at some point. And I'm like, why? Why Why is that really that important? Other events, sure. But if you want a beer at Penn State, if you want a beer even in the stadium at Penn State, there are ways to do it. And I don't think selling it is something you have to do. Yeah, I'm honestly kind of agnostic when it comes to the beer sales. I don't need to. I don't need a beer with the game. Um, Typical. Now I'm a. I, I'm a little bit of a freak. I don't really like getting drunk before games because I like to watch the game. 
I don't really drink during games because I'm there to, I go to a game to watch the game. I like to drink after the game, but before the game, I typically don't get too uh, intoxicated myself. Um, one thing too is, Penn, I'll say this, Penn State games, it's still a pretty family-friendly atmosphere. Um, and I do think that would be taken away a little bit by beer sales. Um, but I do understand it's a great way to uh, bring money in. And I think we're on our way to beer sales. So in 10 years, I, I think you're going to see beer at Beaver Stadium. And, you know, it'll be better in some areas. I think it'll be worse in some areas. Um, another thing with the Beaver Stadium renovation, too, I've read that we have by far the worst press boxes in the Big Ten um, from from different uh, writers. Um, they didn't have they didn't have hot water in the press boxes all year last year. And but that that's embarrassing. You're bringing you want these you want ABC crews to come in. You want this to be a destination for, uh, you know, a lot of uh, media attention. And you're not going to have warm water in the press box. Uh, they've had frozen pipes up there in the bathrooms. And I know this doesn't really affect the fans all that much, but it's it, it's it's an embarrassment. I think that's an important part of it. And I don't think they can do that much more for that because I think they've already done some things um, to the press box to make it better. I don't know how much more they can really do. And and, and it just comes back to the same thing. Now, I... I lean towards rebuild because I'm just like, hey, if you're going to do it, by the time you renovate all of it, people still aren't going to be happy. Um, people still aren't going to think it was done well anyway. So just rebuild the whole damn thing. I'm not very attached to Beaver Stadium. I, lo I loved it for what it is and will continue to love it for what it is. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, it's a modern marvel of the world or anything like that. It's not, you know, it's, it's not the big house. It's not, you know another place like Neyland Stadium where there's, I feel like, a much bigger connection. Like, yeah, there's some massively important games that happen at Beaver Stadium, but I think we would be okay moving on and people would kind of get over it. I mean, you could even, you know, I don't know what you do at the All Sports Museum, but you could leave some of Beaver Stadium up I don't in some way, I don't know, and just leave the little chunk on the corner where the all sports museum is or something. You could do something like that. If you wanted to honor its history still, I don't think the history of Beaver stadium is enough where it warrants being kept up just because of the history. But Corey, what about your statue? Right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, I understand what you're saying. Um, but think about it this way, Corey. We have we're in the top ten right now, most wins of all time, and we're with uh, Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan. Like these state these um, programs, they don't rip their stadium down, and it's not a guarantee that the atmosphere at Beaver Stadium would just be automatically transferred over into a new one. I'm a Yankee fan too, and. Yankee old Yankee Stadium had a different feel to it than new Yankee Stadium. And it's true that Beaver Stadium isn't the equivalent to Yankee Stadium, but just the feel to watching a game there, it doesn't automatically translate into that other stadium. And that there are uh, big issues with with Beaver Stadium, but I'm not sure if you're going to get that same whiteout feel at a new stadium. Or just a typical game day feel at a new stadium that you get at Beaver Stadium. So maybe I am a little more attached than you are. I think you are, but I think you bring up a good point. Um, I think that would have to be probably one of the most important things if they would consider to rebuild it. I think you've got to find the proper way to capture whatever it is. If it's the way this, you know, the angle at which people are viewing the game, you know. The, the proper degrees of the stadium of the seats facing in to get the right amount of noise to be trapped. I mean, you, you're right. You could have the potential to lose it, but you could also have the potential to increase it and make it even better. And and it's not necessarily a risk as much as, you know, you look at what Seattle did. And, and you, you know, you, there's opportunities to create something that is maybe perhaps even a little bit better. I, on that topic, I'm curious, 
if there was like an unlimited funding in the world, would you consider, would you want some sort of retractable roof? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so tired of being in cold weather games <laughs> or games that it rains. My, my friends always bust me how much I hate when it rains outside and how much I hate when it rains the games I go to. I would be 100% on board with the retractable roof. Yeah, I am too. I, it might, you know, who knows what it does as far as the the uh, atmosphere. In, uh, in Indy, loved it. It was fantastic. I love that stadium. Lucas Oil is fantastic. Uh, I didn't think it took away from the atmosphere at all. I loved being there. But I, I, I do think being inside a dome sometimes does change the energy a little bit. So I'm curious. It's probably not even on the table, to be honest with you. But if it was... Um, I'm curious if that is something they're thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the if one... I had to pick a stadium to build, it would be Lucas Oil Stadium because I just I was so impressed by it. Yeah, I agree. I loved it there. The only other thing that I think everyone kind of agreed with is better internet connection. I think everyone pretty much is like, we got to find a way. Somebody was like, get AT and T or get somebody to sponsor and build a whole new five G tower nearby. Like, there's got to be something you can do to improve the situation because they've tried a lot of things. Like, they've put those little boosters around the stadium. They've done a lot of different things to try to improve. But I mean, you're talking about two hundred something thousand people all being within a square mile of each other. I mean, there's just only so much you can do. I think. Yeah, when you walk in there, you just know, all right, well, I'm going to be disconnected from the world for three and a half hours. Um, also, the sound system, if you're in, if you're above the student section, the south end zone uh, in the upper decks, that sound is terrible. And I'm not, I, I, it seems, I'm not an expert on sound or anything. It seems like it would be a rather easy fix, but maybe it's not. I don't uh, know. They have to fix that. I don't know how much it's a obvious sound issue or if it's just like that's what they can do with whatever the, you know, where they have the speakers are at. And that's just that's just the way it echoes back to you from certain spots is just going to be different. And that's just the best that they can do. That's another thing. Like, I don't know how well sound travels there compared to other places where you might get a more acoustic feel where it sounds better or more equal. Who knows? Um, I'm not an expert on that, that's for sure. But, no, I agree. I think the sound system is another thing that if you're going to renovate, and maybe you can do all those things um, cosmetically that make people feel better. You improve the Internet. You at least improve the bathrooms, maybe improve the press box. You find a way to improve the concessions in some shape or form. You improve all these little things, maybe put a reface on it, get rid of some of the exposed steel, but keep some of the exposed steel, but get some brick in there that matches kind of the brick that's that's around the stadium in the end zones and and you kind of just give it a little bit of a cosmetic look maybe that's enough i don't know how much that would cost but is that is that really what they want moving forward i don't know yeah and maybe not um and just you know also with the rebuild argument like i said i'm pro renovation myself when you walk in it looks like you're walking into 1980 just that they're there are all the just how they had to uh, build the, how they had to build the stadium to make it bigger. Um, it's it's not pleasing to the eye all the time. There's a lot of it that's not pleasing to the eye. I have said this many times. Um, you go to Disney World, you go to Universal. When you are waiting to ride a ride, the entire time now they talk about how important it is that the the queue is part of the ride now. So when you are waiting for the ride, you are actually in the ride. Like it is important that the people feel like they are important during the queue waiting, or at least they're entertained. Why are we not doing that with Beaver Stadium? And I've actually, you know, I I know some of the people in the, and I've, I've passed this idea along. If you're waiting, why are you just waiting and freezing your ass off? Why is there not some way to build a tunnel, make something where you feel like you're a part of the show or the experience. You always are trying to push the greatest show. You're always trying to say the people matter. Well, they shouldn't have to go from nothing tailgating scene and then just enter Beaver Stadium and have that switch flipped automatically for themselves. You can assist in that by making, you know, if everybody's waiting to, you know, have their phone scanned and to enter the stadium and there's it's backed up all the way to curtain. Why are you not trying to find a way to get these people more excited to enter than just sitting there freezing their butt off and then, 
you know, can't wait to just sit down finally. Give these people a reason to be excited and already start to get them in the mode to be a part of the show. And I think that's something you could easily include in a renovation. Um, that it, That isn't necessarily a big deal, but it's something that I think that would need to be a part of something um, in a rebuild for sure. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, yeah, th- th- that's a good point too. I never really thought of that. But yeah, when you're out there, th- there's nothing going on. Uh, from the time that the players walk in, that that is pretty cool. That is something that, um, that 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 they do up. But for that hour and a half or whatever it is, there's nothing going on outside. No, and you're just—it's a march of penguins, man. You're just you're, you're just trying to get in there as fast as you can, not because you want to go to the game, but because most of the time you don't want to freeze your butt off anymore outside. But I think that's an opportunity where you can, I mean, even going into like a, you know, training camp for some of these NFL places, like you walk through and, uh, these, the gates and, you know, they have all their championships right there and you can take pictures of them. I mean, there's no reason why they can't make some sort of all sports museum tunnel for a couple of the gates that showcase, you know, have different videos going on, have different highlights of them beating that team previously, have anything to do with what's about to go down right now. Um, anything to get people more jazzed up and ready to go, but also kind of take their mind off of the fact that they're going to be sitting in this line for another 15, 20 minutes just to get into the stadium. Yeah. There's not even music playing outside. There's nothing. Yeah. So I think that's maybe my biggest point. And if people stayed all the way and listened to the very end, thank you. So um, Sean, any final thoughts on rebuild or renovate for Beaver stadium? No, I think we covered it all. Corey. Yeah. And again, I was just talking about how before the show about how, you know, just a couple of conversations last a lot longer with just two people. And I think we fleshed out the offensive line, which I think the offensive line is such an important part going into the spring, right? Because everybody wants to keep talking about it. We covered the offensive line pretty much two weeks in a row now. We've talked about the linebackers now quite a bit as well. I think those are the two positions where a lot of people have a lot of anxiety heading into the spring. Yeah, and the offensive line, I mean, you can make an argument it's the most it's your most important unit uh i would still say quarterback but if you don't have a good offensive line that really hamstrings you and if those linebackers aren't up to snuff uh you're gonna have a lot of people saying oh what happened to the defensive line well the linebackers aren't filling the holes in. they trickle down right i agree i agree and and so we've covered both that we'll be back next week for another episode um sean appreciate you man all right, had a fun time for it. Thanks. All right, All right. For, for Sean Kane, this is Corey Stokey. Hardcore, Hardcore Penn State football. football. Catch, Catch you next, next time. time. Bye. Bye.